I invite you to join me for some playful yoga classes at Power of Your Own. We overlook the beautiful Santa Ynez Mountains in the heart of downtown Santa Barbara and are known as the friendliest yoga studio in California. Locals can take advantage of our introductory offer of two weeks of unlimited sessions for only 40 bucks. Go to powerofyourom.com to sign up. That's powerofyourom.com. Welcome to the Messy Progress Podcast, the show that will give you the courage and confidence to get messy, uncaged, and liberated so that you're living your most vibrant life. I'm your host, Adrian Smith, and I'm so stoked that you're here. Let's jump right in. After I finished the row across the ocean last year, I was hot to trot to make some life changes. I thought that's what was supposed to happen after a major life experience like the one that I had. So after I came down from all the publicity of the adventure, the Instagram algorithms seemed to know that my life change was to be a public speaker. I was getting all these sponsored ads for getting on the TED Talk stage. So through the power of persuasion and my inability to discern what I actually wanted to do, I pursued that. I started to interview coaches that could help me learn to speak. And after a suggestion from a client at my yoga studio, I landed on working with a public speaking coach who's more of a storytelling coach, Kimberly Weil. I don't think I realized that I signed up for storytelling school until the program ended six months later. One of the most impactful exercises we did in our training for me was not actually learning to speak, but learning to tell stories. And more importantly than that, it was declaring our year. It's the end of 2022 and Kimberly starts our group coaching call, telling us a story about the power for her of declaring her year the last year. Now I've done exercises like this in the past. So as she continues to talk, I roll my eyes and think, I can't believe I'm paying this much money to do a similar exercise that I've done in the past. But I push that aside and I do what I do. I signed up for this program. So I do the exercise and our homework is to figure out what we want the next year to be for ourselves, what we want to declare it to be. And it came really easy. This is the year of seeing for myself. As I've practiced this, I've noticed that everyone has an opinion of how to live, that they share and project out into the world. We're all doing it all the time. But I didn't notice it before I crossed the ocean and and now I'm really noticing it everywhere. When we were being interviewed for our documentary, this was back in like March of 2022, maybe April, I'm not sure. The documentary itself is still stuck in a legal battle. It's really annoying. Um, But nonetheless, one of the directors asked me a question. She said, do you think that what I was embarking on was reckless? Sure. It's just a question. But it's a loaded question. And it was a question that I had never asked myself. I never asked this specific question to any of my teammates. My husband never asked me. And my teammates and I never asked each other, but other people in my life, people I didn't even know, they were asking us and me this question in a multitude of ways. Their fear was projected out onto me and onto us. 
Until I declared my year, the year of seeing for myself, I didn't even see it. And now I'm so aware of it, it's insane. In today's episode, I want to share about some of my learnings as a result of seeing for myself these last 10 months. These are my learnings that I've learned as I've seen them for myself. So take them or leave them. But these were things that I wasn't even aware of prior to opening my eyes up and you can call declaring my year. And there's a lot of different schools of thought, research, science that proves that what we start to speak out into existence is the things or are the things that we start to see. So I'm going to start, I have 10 points and it's very likely that I could, I might even in the future, take each one of these points and expand on them in different episodes. But for today, I'm just, just going to keep them pretty short. Um, I'm going to start one with politics. I never talk about politics. And I most likely, if you asked me, I don't know what's going on in the world at most times because the way that I look at it is I can't really impact a lot of the things that are going on in the entire world. And that might be naive, that might be ignorant, but it's just how I see it. However, this last year, I started to realize that I need to pay attention to politics because health and wellness is political. And I never looked at it that way. Now, if I rewind back to 2020, when my yoga studio was closed because of COVID, I didn't look at it as a political regime of any kind. And I don't know that I necessarily still do, but I, I'm starting to see that the ability for people in our world and just even in the city that I live in, that is super privileged, very white, it's political. Health and wellness is political. So much of it comes down to education. I see it in my daughter at her school. I love the fact that she gets to go, thanks to taxpayer, ta- taxpayers' dollars, she can go to an after-school program. And through Santa Barbara Unified, they I don't have to provide any food for her. I bring her to school with a water bottle and she, we put electrolytes in it and then school and the school district provides all the food. But if I look at the food menu, it's kind of shit. However, she's also six. She's not going to eat beans and most likely not salads, but it is total shit that they're eating. And then in the after school program that again, I also don't have to pay for a lot of times she gets prizes that are sugary candies. One of the things at her school, they raise money, which I love that they raise money, but kids get to bring money to school to buy treats. And the things that they can buy are things like popsicles and Cheetos. And until, so my point of this is until we start to change everything from the ground up of educating our superintendents, educating the teachers, educating the parents, educating the kids, they're always going to choose to have the popsicle or, or the Cheetos like I would if I was that age. And so our health and wellness, it is really political, not only just me owning a yoga studio and having to close when, you know, COVID happened. That's a whole nother topic for another day. But just rewinding back all the way to when we were kids. All right, number two, qualifications. Not everyone is qualified to lead 
a training. If you go on, let me rewind. This is interesting. So back in, um, I don't know, 2009 or 2010 or something like that, I went to a conference where Rachel Hollis was the keynote, one of the keynote speakers at this mind body conference. It's a software company. And one of the things she, she told this funny story about how she tried to get into Harvard business school. And Rachel Hollis is a New York times bestselling author. And she tells the story about how she wanted to get into Harvard business school. And she, in her application told them about how she was an influencer. And, um, it must've been way late. It wasn't 2009, 2010. This was like probably 2016 because social media wasn't as big of a thing, but nonetheless, she tells them that she's an influencer and that she should be like allowed to get into Harvard business school. Uh, fast forward, she ends up getting in and she, I believe drops out. And the, the premise of her story was that you can learn anything that you want to learn on the internet. And that can't be more true than it is today is you can Google anything and learn how to do it. Just simply how to paint your cabinets and not have to pay someone to paint them to how to learn how to be a sound healer, how to learn to be a yoga teacher, how to learn how to make videos, do graphic design. Um, you can do so much now with artificial intelligence, obviously, but that doesn't mean that every single one of these things is something that we should pay for to learn how to do because not everyone's qualified. And I bring that up because one of the issues that I've had lately is that I haven't wanted to, to lead yoga teacher trainings the way that I, um, or I, I said, I, I, not the way, but I haven't wanted to lead them because I feel like yoga teachers are a dime a dozen and you can sign up for a yoga teacher training everywhere with anyone. And, and most people aren't the greatest teachers to learn from. Um, and anyway, in a conversation I was having with one of my students yesterday, he was the one that pointed this out to me. And I have started to realize that there's a lot of, a, a lot of knowledge and wisdom and experience that comes from learning from someone who's been doing the thing that you want to learn for longer than just a minute. And, and so I put that out there as, you know, as I look for things, qualifiers for who I want to take trainings from back to my story about Kimberly is Kimberly has been teaching people how to speak and tell stories and her wealth of knowledge around this goes super deep. She also leads um, one of the Santa Barbara improv classes. And so there's a lot of credibility that goes into what she offers as a teacher and facilitator of, of, of a training. And I don't think I paid attention to that as much before because it just seemed like everybody was leading these, especially when Zoom started two or three years ago, because then everybody was able to put online content up. And just yesterday I was scrolling through Instagram and there was something about parenting and the person's image that came up about parenting advice. The, her picture shows up and I was like, are you 16? I don't think you're old enough and have had enough life experience to be teaching me how I should be talking to my kids. Anyway, number three, time management. If I want more time to appear, don't bring my phone into the bathroom. I brought this up yesterday in a yoga class. If you've ever paid attention to how quickly you can get sucked down the rabbit hole of social media, I know that some people are just don't even go on it because they can't control themselves or we have social media timer devices where you get timed out after a certain amount of time. 
but just the other day I was brought my phone into the bathroom and before I knew it, I was in there for 15 minutes and I don't even know what I was watching and I don't even know how I got to what I was watching. And so I bring this up because so many people claim and complain about not having enough time. And it's a simple thing is just don't bring your phone. Maybe your phone goes into the bathroom with you because it's in a fanny pack or it's in your pocket, but don't take it out. Just go to the bathroom, do your business, focus on what you're doing. The same way that I would tell my daughter to do this is I would want her to focus her attention while she's in the bathroom on going to the bathroom, not on something else is like, we need to treat ourselves that way. All right. Number four, emotions. I love this one. Two things can be true. Okay. So it is really important to emote. And when I say that is it's important to be sad. It's important to be joyful. It's important to get angry, to be angry. It's important to what are other, some big emotions. I I feel like anger and sadness and joy. Um, It's important to be disappointed. It's important to like, as a human, to feel the range of emotions that are available in our human experience and also to express them out. Okay. Express them out at the right time with the right people that will love you regardless of your emotional expression. And also there's a flip side to it. So I'll give you an example. My daughter sometimes gets really mad and she will yell at Jason and I and say things like, I don't want you to be my parents anymore. Or I don't love you anymore. Or um, she just says really mean things. And then sometimes she can get a little bit violent where she'll like be, you know, like hitting her door or she'll even hit us. And so the two things can be true is it's important for us as parents, because my parents never did this. Instead, it was always, uh, they never told us, you know, it's okay to be sad or it's okay to be angry. But instead they just told us like, you know, get over it. And so it's something that I'm working on with Jason all the time because the way that this goes is it's okay and it's good. It's not just okay. It's really good and healthy to be mad, but it's not okay to hit people. It's not okay to hit me. It's okay to make mistakes. And how can we make it better? So it's identifying and and expressing that the emotion is a good thing to have to someone that's in front of us, especially a child. And also what else is true? So just last night, my daughter was making a little project for school and she put a little piece of tissue on top of a leaf. And Jason said to her, Hey, it's possible that the leaf, that that the tissue is going to rip. Don't be sad about it. We can fix it. And I interrupted him. And I said to Reese, I said, Reese, it's actually okay if you're sad that the tissue rips and we can fix it. Instead of saying, don't be sad. It's actually okay if you're sad that it rips. So two things are true. And if we can do this more with ourselves and with others, oh my gosh, it's game changer. All right. Relationships. Getting closure is an inside job. So a lot of us think, or we've, we've heard this so many times that we need to get closure on something in order to move forward. And I completely don't agree. I've had a lot of relationships that didn't end with a complete, it's not like a job interview, or I should say an exit interview of a job where you say, I quit and 
let's rehash how things, what worked well and what didn't work well. In relationships, it's sort of like some relationships start to just fade and we're not friends friendly in ways that we used to be, but we don't necessarily have to have uh, a text conversation or a phone conversation or go on a walk and like call it complete. And I've had this several times where I thought that if I did go on the walk and I had a conversation about all the ways that I messed up and what I'd like to do going forward, that I would feel better. And I actually never did. And so the closures and inside job thing, it's just realizing back to number four about emotions is two things can be true. It's like, I'm sad that this relationship is ending or it's over, or it's not the same as it used to be. And whatever else is true. And we're just not as close as we used to be. And so it's identifying and recognizing that there's an emotion around the closure that we want to have, or, or, um, we're not going to necessarily get from the other person. And we have to just recognize it in ourselves through emotional recognition. All right. Number six, sleep. I am a huge fan of getting eight plus hours of sleep a night. I think as I've gotten older, I want more and more sleep to be honest. And the, the sleep thing, my, my lesson is I am not depressed if I don't want to get out of bed. So one of the number one things, if you were to like Google on mental health of like, what are the signs of depression? And it's an inability to get out of bed. And while that is true, it does line up with those that do have depression. Depression is not just something that just passes in waves. It's something that's much more of a permanent state of, um, of, of being. And it's totally normal to not want to get out of bed. Bed is my bed is super cozy. It's warm. A lot of times I'm laying next to either my dog or my husband and I'm like snuggling with my pillow. And a lot of times it's, you know, dark at, let's say if I go to bed at nine and it's 5am, like, I don't want to get up right away. I don't feel ready to get up because the sun's not out. It doesn't mean I'm depressed. And this is an important thing for everybody to recognize for themselves is, you know, how long is that lasting? Is it every single day? Is it all the time? What time are you going to bed at? How much sleep are you actually getting? Um, and making sure that, you know, if you rewind back to the night before, what did you drink? What did you eat? What time did you go to sleep at? Because sometimes we can just all of a sudden say, oh, I'm, I'm depressed. Or someone might ask even like, are you depressed? If like you're having trouble getting out of bed, I don't think they necessarily correlate. All right. Number seven, relaxing. A big reason why my body will or will not heal is that I don't make time to relax. About two months ago, I reached out to one of my friends who does postural therapy. And I might have talked about this in a past episode. He looked and watched me walk, watched me stand, watched me do some squats, had me look at my own body. And one of the things that we decided was there's like something out of alignment with my hips. I have scoliosis. So my spine's a little bit pressed over to the right and twisted. And anyway, I can go into the whole thing. My point of all this is he had me after all the evaluation, the exercise that he had me do, uh, he wants me to do it like every other day. So, you know, five days a week is to lay on the ground, put my feet up on the couch and squeeze a block with my feet, like a yoga block. 
and do it for 12 minutes. And it's really interesting because this was several months ago that we met to have me do this. And I don't know how many times I've done it, but it's not a lot. And what I realized is that I have a hard time just laying down on the floor, laying on a couch, laying on a bed, sitting and doing nothing. And to me, I look at that as doing nothing. And I also just can't find myself to not be productive. And one of the reasons why I have the issue in my body that I have is because I don't take the time to do nothing and relax. What about you? All right, number eight, learning. Practicing anything is how I get better at it. All right. So I was just thinking back to my first ever yoga teacher training. And I think when I went to this training, I was expecting a lot of lectures. And that's not what we got. We did a lot of yoga. It was a pretty intense training physically. So we would start gathering at, you know, like 7 a.m. was breakfast. We'd start with a yoga practice meditation at eight. We would do like a morning session that lasted until something like 1 p.m. We'd have a lunch break. We'd come back in for an afternoon session and we went to like 12 midnight, one in the morning. Now back to my last point on relaxing, there wasn't a lot of relaxing during these (laughs) trainings. There was a lot of work, but my point is we weren't just being taught to, we were practicing the things that we were working on learning and getting better at. So we were practicing yoga. We were practicing meditation. We were practicing journaling. We were practicing speaking. We were practicing leading people how to to do the yoga. We weren't spending a lot of time being told how to do things, but rather embodiment of the thing that we were learning. And I see this as something that we forget that we need to do is like, if you want to learn how to play an instrument, if you get lectured on how to play an instrument, which I've gone to a class where they did so much talking and we didn't actually play and pick the guitar, you don't get better at it. You don't get better at running by watching videos on how to run. You get better at running by running. You get better at storytelling by telling stories. You get better at public speaking by getting up in front of people and speaking. So practice. All right. Number nine, listening. My good friend Ricardo told me this quote. I don't know if it's a quote, but it's saying, and I love it. There is a reason we have two ears and one mouth. Think about it. Two ears for listening and one mouth for talking. I tell myself this whenever I get hard on myself for not listening because it makes my inability to listen more humorous. And why is this important? It's important because back to my cell phone comment on time management is we don't spend a lot of time listening, relaxing several of these things. Why is sleeping hard? Because for the first time at the end of the night, we're laying down in our bed and it's quiet and we don't have anything to distract us. And therefore it becomes hard to go to sleep because we haven't practiced being quiet and just listening to the thoughts, to our breath to our body calming down. And so the practice of listening, really powerful. One way that I would do this um, when I first got back from my trip was I would get up early in the morning and I've shared this a lot of times. I would light a candle. I would pull one of my animal spirit cards and I didn't journal. I would just sit on the couch and I'd stare at the candle. And so instead of writing down things, I would just sit there 
And I would ask questions kind of to the divine, to the universe, to myself and stare at the candle and just sit there and really listen instead of outputting things into the world. It's really powerful. And then number 10, when it comes to healing, and I'll share about this in future episodes, psychedelics have saved my marriage. All right. So in January of 2023, my husband started to work with a therapist doing ketamine-assisted therapy, or KAT as you'll hear me call it um, on this episode and future ones. And as the year progressed, we've experimented with other psychedelics and specifically MDMA. And, you know, remember, this is my year of seeing for myself. So without where I was prior to this year was that I, everything was, these are hard drugs. Like you're not supposed to take these. And now I've started to see how back to my number one point of, um, politics, health and wellness is political. This is a fully political game for sure. And what I've started to see is that things that were taught to us about, call it just the drug, you know, like the war on drugs and stuff, we were just taught not to explore, just say no. And we weren't taught that about alcohol. With alcohol, we were taught What's the number of, you know, what's the comparison of a glass of beer to a glass of wine to, you know, liquor? What's the comparison that, you know, you can put you over the legal limit to drive saying that you can have some, but you can't have too much. Right. And now fast forward to this year being the year that I decided, Hey, I'm going to like try these things for myself and see what happens. And, um, so in July of this year, or I should, maybe it was like more like May. One of my clients, actually, her and I started to talk about microdosing and she shared with me how profoundly it's changed her life. And she was microdosing psilocybin, which is the magic mushrooms. And fast forward, she tells me about MDMA, which is a very heart opening um, drug and I'll, I'll link to an Andrew Huberman podcast on what MDMA is and what it does to your brain. Cause I'm not a scientist and so I'm going to get it completely wrong, but it makes you feel much more open anyway. So she said, have you ever tried this? You should try it and you should, you and Jason should do it together. And, and so we did, and we took this, I think it was like a hundred milligram, hundred micrograms of um, MDMA and we laid on the beach and we laid there. And at first I was noticing that I just felt a lot quieter. And that's how I had felt, um, when I had tried peyote and when I had tried mushrooms and back to my number nine listening, there's a reason we have two ears and one mouth. My friend Ricardo is, um, he studies the Mayan calendar and the Mayan, um, culture, and has shared a lot with me about these plant medicine practices that have been around for thousands and thousands of years. Now, some of these things that I've referenced just now are chemical compounds that are made from, you know, in a lab. So ketamine is made in a lab. MDMA is made in a lab. And some of us might have the thought of like, oh, if it's, you know, not pure or not, not pure, that's different. Um, if it's not made from, you know, the earth, like a plant, like mushrooms or cannabis, that I'm not going to take it. But 
so many of us drink coffee and we have no problem actually taking in a stimulant that is most likely manufactured in a lab, like powdered uh, caffeine instead of something that's made from, you know, the ground or um, the leaves of a tree anymore. And uh, anyway, I, as Jason and I, back to the story of us taking MDMA for the first time together on a beach, we laid there. I felt quieter than I'd ever felt. And he was sitting in a chair and I have never seen him. I said to him, how do you feel? And he said, I knew this was going to happen. I don't feel anything. And I said to him, I was like, well, I've never seen you sit still for so long. And then all of a sudden he, he was sitting in a chair. I was laying on the beach and then we changed positions. We were both laying on the beach, facing the ocean, holding hands. And it was magical. The walls came down years and years and years of resentment of going to therapists, fighting, borderline getting divorced. Um, I can still remember when it was two years ago and we had, we were at like one of the lowest lows of our marriage. And Jason said to me, he goes, I just don't want this to get ugly. And that was two years ago. And now to fast forward to January of this year, I had just asked him or told him rather that I was going to go stay at a friend's house for a little bit because I needed some space. And that was really scary for me to be like, I can't be in this relationship and have it be so emotional and volatile. And I didn't just didn't like where we were. And from that point on, he started to do his own inner work and working with the KAT, the ketamine assisted therapy and the assistance of a therapist to help him work through some of his stuff. And then to transition to both of us working individually and then together with some MDMA journeys that we've taken. And honestly, it's, we've been able to communicate openly and honestly with each other and truly be with ourselves and each other in ways that we never even were when we first met. It's brought us back to the feeling that we had when we first met each other, when we first started dating. And this one single experience that we had in July on the beach created an opening for a new relationship to emerge not to go back in the past and start from, you know, trying to recreate what we had when we first met, but for us to create a new relationship as new people, as, you know, older parents and to, to be more connected with ourselves and each other. So I have so many more stories to share about all these things I've learned. And like I said, I, I foresee future episodes on these individual topics. So more to come. Um, I'll leave a couple of things in the show notes about other podcasts that have been super helpful for me as I've dive, been diving into different avenues of seeing for myself. Thank you for listening. If what you heard today lit you up in any way, please take the time to subscribe, like, and share the podcast with your friends. It'll help us reach more people in courageously and confidently rocking life. Make sure you follow me on Instagram to see the messy fun I'm up to at the Adrian Smith and check out my current wellness events and coaching programs on my website, alignedlivingnow.com. I look forward to being with you next week. Until then, get messy.